I'm Matt Brownell. And I'm Van Owens. And I'm Tim Adams. Welcome to Climbing the Mountain, where we dive into the scriptures and discuss themes, connections, and real-life application. We're kicking off a series here where we're going to examine the Sermon on the Mount and discuss implications for this teaching for Christians today. Hey, y'all. Excited to come together again for our very last episode (laughs) on enemy love and retaliation. Um, This is part five, not part six, as I mentioned in last episode. Um, But we've obviously been having an extended discussion about this. If you haven't listened to the previous four parts before you're listening to this one, you probably should. And so we're just going (laughs) to dive in uh, to where we were last time. Uh, So one thing we didn't address before in our discussion was the relationship between the government and the Christian. This is kind of the last big theme Mm. that I want to make sure that we uh, discuss. And Van, uh, you brought up Romans 13, 1 through 4 before, um, which I think is really critical to this discussion. And it discusses how Christians are supposed to submit to the governing authorities and that the one in authority is God's servant for your good. And Matt, you discussed that that's even if the authority is not a great one because mm-hmm. this was written when Nero was in charge. So in the previous conversations, I feel like we acknowledged God, the government's God-given role in maintaining peace and order and that the call is for Christians to submit to the government's authority even if that government is harsh. Um, what I also understood from the conversation, uh, more pertinent to, to us as Christians, is that there can also be great opportunities for Christians to serve in government offices or jobs. For example, a judge, police officer, or military personnel. Uh, in order for us as Christians to be a redeeming force and a light in these places of great influence. So I think I'll first just ask, does that summary align with what you guys think? I would say yes. It, 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 I think that is a good summary. Um. <laughs> um, I'll say a bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, yes. Uh, I think you're right. Romans 13 was written during Nero. And I think it's an interesting time. It, there's some similarities, but a lot of things that are different about mm-hmm. that time, right? You had Nero. You had um, the temple was still around. So you had a whole religious system that was very influential and powerful and that Jesus had condemned uh, when he was around and, uh, you know, walking through it, turning over tables. And um, so you had, it's not not exactly the same, but, you know, I think Paul's writing here, um, we're supposed to love everyone including those in authority, even unjust authorities, because we trust our ultimate judge. And in this way, we we respect God's love of justice and we live in peace as much as it depends on us. Um, I think a lot of this, whether a Christian is called to serve in government offices or jobs is, I think it's going to come down to their own conscience uh, to a degree. And to complicate matters more, that conscience might change over the course of your life. You may not feel the same way about something. Your conscience may be pricked 
at the longer you're in a situation or the longer you are uh, walking through this process of sanctification that we're, we're on here. Um, uh, with respect to motive, though, I'm not sure I would say um, we should serve in order to be redeeming forces of light in certain places. I think wherever we go, that should be what we do. We should reflect Christ's light into the world. So I don't want a hearer to think that um, we're advocating for more Christian judges or something like that. I don't think that's that's not. Um, uh, but if you were called to a particular vocation, don't be surprised if God wants you to somehow be a light there because he wants you to be a light wherever you are. I guess uh, I see us having a lot of freedom in that respect, uh, freedom and an overarching mission to be an image bearer that supersedes any subsequent choice because it's who we are, who we're made to be. Uh, so I guess maybe uh, the way I'd look at it is if you find yourself in a position of authority, um, you suddenly are in the spotlight with more eyes on you. So you have a greater obligation to be a light because they will see your darkness. <laughs> You're, you know, uh, and I think there's maybe an equivalence in how Paul instructs Timothy and Titus in, um, with respect to elder qualifications, leaders are needed everywhere, both inside and outside the church. And, um, you don't want untested bad leaders, um, because leaders have influence. So I, I guess I'd end with a word of caution too. If anyone's hearing this and thinking, oh, good, I want this position of power, um, be careful what you wish for, too, right. because leaders in uh, you see it in the Bible, like they are, you will be tested mm -hmm. and you will, it will involve a lot of suffering. And um, we can't do any kind of spiritual leadership without God working through us. Um, and so it's really uh, incumbent upon us to rely on, on his spirit, not our own. I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, no, I, I think that's really helpful clarification. Um, and this is a, a really good baseline <laughs> for the rest of our conversation. Um, uh, so with that said then, so focus leaning into the, the question of, okay, Christians in one of these positions, right? The Christians in a, a government officer job. Um, mm -hmm. you know, one of the passages that we'll talk about maybe in many months is Matthew six twenty four, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, says no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's talk about money, but the no one can serve two masters is just a mm -hmm. blanket statement that Jesus is making to prove his point about money. And so ultimately you've got. You know, there's this question of authority and mm -hmm. this is really what I want to ask is how do we wrestle for the, for the person who's, um, in that government position, how do you wrestle with the concept of Jesus' ultimate authority over our life? Um, you know, federal employees need to swear an oath before they begin employment that says that they'll bear true faith and allegiance to the constitution of the United States. And just as one example. Um, and that's something that, uh, I learned that was all federal employees, which was news to me. <laughs> I thought it was just people going into um, like military service, but it's, it's everyone. 
So how can we pledge allegiance both to the Constitution of the United States in this instance and to Jesus? You know, what do we do when those allegiances conflict? Well, I, I am, you know, when I saw your question, I had to research that, too. I thought all federal employees, so mm-hmm. like a mailman has to pledge this, but they do. They, it's the same. It's the same pledge, whether you're a senator or a, you know, a postal worker. Um and uh, so I think that, you know, the passage in Romans 13 uh, is, and maybe it might be a good idea to read it. Yeah, let's do, you think, do it. Let, let, let's read Romans 13, um, starting in verse 1. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Um, and I, I think what, what's happening in here, there's a couple of things. One is that it, it, we're talking about God as the ultimate authority. Yep. God establishes governments as his agents. And then there's a lot of talk about doing right or doing wrong, that if you do right, you will be commended. If you do wrong, you will be punished. And I think that the the doing right and doing wrong is doing right or doing wrong in the eyes of God, and that God will either commend you, and if you do wrong, God will punish you. And uh, there's a part of me that wonders: is that is government is the agent in there somewhere? But you, if your allegiance is to God, then you're allegiance to the government is somehow secondary to that or somehow doesn't matter, there is a sense that I get from the scriptures. I get it more strongly in another passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. And I, I just find that interesting that it says, it says whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. We know that Peter writing this letter doesn't think that the emperor is a, <laughs> a more supreme authority than God. Right. But he calls him the supreme authority there. Verse 14, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. There's a punishment commendation thing again. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. 
Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And this this passage, quite honestly, is it has a little bit of cognitive dissonance to me. It's like, so he says right there in the end, show proper respect, love the family of believers, got that. Fear God, yes. Honor the emperor. Nero? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, the pagan who has set himself up to say that he is a god and yeah. that we should worship yeah. him, yeah. how can I honor him and also honor God. There must be a way, mm-hmm. but but how do we do it? And so that's the question that I ask as, as I was preparing for this. I'm not sure I landed on even an answer for myself, mm-hmm. but it has to do with understanding who my ultimate authority is. And that if I do good, how would... Um, Submitting to the authority of God uh, oppose submitting to the authority of the government that is over me. Is the, is the question yeah. that I, I yeah. sort of landed on. And I think we're veering into a bit of a hypothetical again, mm-hmm. because this question assumes for us living in the United States that right. we'd be um, serving in that situation. Uh, which could look very different, mm-hmm. a different calculus entirely if we were in a different country. Um, th- we live in an amazing experiment here <laughs> of democracy, which some could say is under threat even now, but but it, it's very different than other countries that could be more theocratic or mm-hmm. um, you know something else that would be very difficult for one of us to serve and mm-hmm. and take an oath to to uphold because it would f- i think it would feel a lot worse than taking an oath to serve in some capacity in this government mm-hmm. now um i say that with the the full full knowledge like w- what you were just bringing out there van about how no government is the the kingdom of god and and we serve an ultimate king and uh, judge, and that is who our primary allegiance is to, and supersedes every other kind of allegiance or pledge that we could make. Now, we talked last time also about making oaths and vows, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I I think uh, we wrestled a little bit with that, but ultimately, I think we were, um, at least I was landing a little bit on the, this is a, a loophole that Jesus is exposing. And, and in our everyday speech, we should be, we should never have to make an oath or a vow. Um, and I brought out how it may be in certain circumstances, uh, momentous occasions like Galatians 1 or Hebrews 6, that they're, maybe they're not intrins- intrinsically wrong to, to make such an oath. But um, so anyway, with... <laughs> With that backdrop, I'd say I I wouldn't have a problem of of making some kind of uh, pledge allegiance to the Constitution of the United States as it stands now with its amendments. Mm-hmm. I think the first draft was was problematic when when you when you read it. There's some messed up iter uh, uh, language in there about indigenous people, slaves, women. You know the the three fifths of a non free person language. That's that's striking. 
Um, so the amendments are pretty welcome additions, I think. Um, but as a whole, um, I wouldn't have a huge problem with it. But the way I think of this is sort of like having dual citizenship. Mm-hmm. So our primary citizenship is in heaven with with God, where Jesus is preparing a place for us. We're all aliens and foreigners here. Um, and we have this this kind of dual citizenship where we we can live uh, or maybe maybe um, permanent resident might be a, a better way of looking at it, where you're allowed to live in this place and have a job and carry on a life and uh, but your primary citizenship is elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's maybe the way uh, a good way of looking at it. At least that's the way I think of it, that we're all longing for this better home to return to. And that's that's how I think Peter looks at it, because um, he talks about us living as foreigners and strangers and aliens, um, that we're a whole, you know, royal priesthood, a holy nation. Yeah. Um, so that's right before the passage that you just right. quoted, right. Van. Um, so yeah, I mean, I really like that. And I, I will say a couple of things just for the, for the listeners. You don't need to swear the oath. You can swear or affirm the oath. So if you remember our oaths discussion, uh, there's that little nuance again. Do that right. what, what you will. <laughs> um, and then what was the other thing? The other thing is, uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm a contractor for many state governments or federal governments. Um or bran- many branches of the United States uh, and have considered becoming a federal employee at times. Mm. So, uh, you know, I hadn't wrestled with this particular uh, oath because I didn't know I would have to make that oath mm-hmm. if I was just a regular civilian federal th- employee. But there's a lot to wade through. I think mainly, most of the time when I think about this question of allegiance, I really do think about military service. Mm. I feel like that's like the extreme example because um, – Although my knowledge of military is basically from friends who have explained it to me or from movies, which, you know, I don't know how much you can trust that, that what's very clear is that you obey your commanding officer mm-hmm. and that you're going to, you're loyal to the United States, you're loyal to um, though your, you know, your fellow civilian, your fellow citizens, um, and you're going to protect, right? Like no matter, no matter what that looks like. Um, so that's, I think to me, like the crux of where, you know, that's the extreme example. Um, and there's, there's examples even through time of, I think in Roman times, right. Where Christians, people became Christians who were, who had already, pledged there to be a soldier and um, decided their conscience said, I can't kill someone. And so they were executed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is the extreme example where then, Hey, if your conscience says, no, that, that, that would be the extreme, the most extreme example I could think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of where I go to, cause that's a very clear example in the the first few centuries is you know people could become Christians if they were in these positions uh, of authority um, but that was what they were held to and the question is is it just a matter of conscience or is it something that we're actually mm-hmm. held to mm-hmm. and so with with that I'm like the way I've been thinking about this as I'm prepping for this is like you know what role do I have as a Christian versus what role does the government have and do they overlap 
or are they? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sure, I think in some ways they certainly do, right? Like the government is meant to provide uh, peace and order in this world, mm-hmm. um, to commend those who do right, mm-hmm. right? I think those are things that, as a Christian, that I'm very much aligned with. Um, but I, I wanted to draw out uh, something in Romans 12 and 13. You, you, you yeah, I just keep thinking, uh, like, just it's striking me how um, different our present situation is from so many past centuries. Like I was just thinking about mulling over that the example that uh, from the Roman citizen soldier who would rather be killed. Um, it, it to fast forward to the Reformation and the Anabaptists who were killed under theocratic states by other purported Christians, right? And um, you know, uh, like we live in such an anomaly almost, it feels like throughout time where we could have a, a separation of church and state and freedom of religion. And, um, you know, like the, the, all the, the wars that had raged in Europe for, for like centuries, they, we were like, no, we're, we're not going to do that. And we have incredible freedom here mm-hmm. that, I don't know. I just, it, it, it's, it, I hope it lasts. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I think that we also can see in, in a purely secular view of things, there are kind of levels of allegiance and there are levels of, you know, somebody who is um, a, a regular citizen is not necessarily ex- expected to go off to war. If the if the United States declares war on somebody, they don't expect us all to go to our houses and get our muskets and line up. Um, unless they do, and there's a draft, <laughs> right? Unless there's right. a draft, <laughs> right? And uh, and you know, so there are there are those different levels of allegiance, and there are, um, and I you know, and I think even in the Bible there are other examples. I think of Daniel, and mm-hmm. how Daniel was a high official in his government, did not start that way, became Mm -hmm. a high official in his government, but his allegiance was clearly to God and not the king. Or it was to God and the king, to God first and then the king, and how his enemies tried to leverage that against him. And, uh, you know, a fascinating read for anybody who's interested in in that Mm -hmm. type of thing. But that um, and in the same token with us as believers, as Christians, there may be levels of allegiance as long as the very top level of that is to God. Yeah, and that that is a good point. And when I think that's the crux of what no one can serve two masters means, is mm-hmm. that ultimately one of the masters wins. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to, you can't be, you can't be, unclear mm-hmm. about which one's going to win when push comes to shove. Um, and that seems to be very clear is that, and I, there's no disagreement in this room <laughs> that the ultimate authority in, in a Christian's life is to God. Um, so we don't need to pretend that that's an area of disagreement because no, we all agree on that yeah. one. Yes. <laughs> Yay. Um, <laughs> so the, the part that I'm wrestling with is so we saw very clearly in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter 2 that the government are 
uh, an avenger that mm-hmm. they are meant to punish those who do wrong. That's from First Peter 2. And then from Romans 12, it says he is a servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, mm-hmm. right? So those are like very clear statements about one of the roles that the government has. Um, and if you go back like five verses in Romans 12, you get an address to Christians and it says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, leave peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So I was wrestling with that because it's very clear that government is an avenger of God. And then it's very clear that Christians are never to avenge, at least never avenge themselves if we just stick exactly to what's written and not Mm -hmm. extrapolate. And so where I'm coming from is that, and this is a great example of it, is that a Christian and the government are given very different mandates. Mm -hmm. They're going to have very different calls. And specifically when it comes to the use of force uh, to, you know, in this case, to avenge or to punish wrong. Um, you know, if you think about military service, that's typically the justification given for wars is mm-hmm. that we're trying to kill the evil person who's harming people. Now, we know from when the documents come out 50 years later, that's mm. very rarely the case it's of why it's never those wars that are black stopped. and white. It's never that black and white. Both sides say those things. Mm-hmm. But the purported reasons um, given for for wars and definitely the reasons why laws exist and why the justice system exists um, is to promote an air of order. And one of the ways it does that is to punish those who do wrong. Mm-hmm. But I struggle to see how a Christian could be involved in any of that if the ultimate authority of the Christian is God and then Christians are called to love their enemies and to never avenge themselves. Mm -hmm. So curious, like what you guys think about that. And so for me, the, the key is in the statement that um, you don't avenge yourself. And what was the other statement that you said? You uh, leave room for God's wrath or, um, you don't that that so someone who uh, let's take the example of a police officer since Daryl was here with us last yeah. time or two times ago. Um, that what a police officer is supposed to do is to protect and to serve, and it doesn't say that a police officer they're the oath that they take. And I'm I'm speaking of very idealized here. Yep. We know that there's corruption in all levels of everything mm-hmm. that human beings do. Yep. But that the 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 ultimate the height of what a police officer is supposed to do is to protect and to serve. And their mandate to protect and to serve does not stop when someone becomes a lawbreaker or is a violent threat to a police officer. So in theory, <laughs> a police officer, if someone is running at him with a knife, his commission is to protect and to serve even that person that is running at him with a knife. And so he needs to try to protect and to serve that person. 
And if it's just him and that person, then he should be willing to sacrifice himself if it, it, it and so there's a there's an ideal thing in there. And I think that um, just as we couldn't find an instance in the Bible where a Christian used violence against somebody that was coming at them with violence, that there we also so we 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 extend that example to people who are in the military or in the police force they're not to use their power to avenge themselves to protect themselves they're there to serve uh, an ultimate authority now for a policeman or a soldier that ultimate authority might be uh, the state or the federal government or the president or the, the United States of America, or whatever country they're a part of. Um, but they are not to do that just for themselves. We get into problems because of the fact that many of them do do it just for themselves. Mm. Or some of them do. Yeah, I think I hear a couple things in there, Tim. Um, and I don't know exactly how to answer because it is such a tough question. And part of me um, thinks it falls into the matters of belief and not binding my, my own opinion on someone else um, and letting their conscience decide hmm. if they are called to service in, in government, in particular as a police officer, as a, someone who joins the military to serve a country. You're right. It there is no we're in that in between place uh, where uh there is nothing perfect here uh it is nothing has been redeemed fully and mm-hmm. uh, actualized like it's not culminated yet in right. in heaven and so we're in this in between where we understand what it should be like but we're still in facing sin and corruption and evil desires and all kinds of mess and so there is no perfect, pure thing. Um, and um, at the same time, I'm also reminded of, um, I think C.S. Lewis gave a, a lecture once to pacifists about why he is not one, <laughs> which it, it, it's um, kind of funny. It is funny. <laughs> uh, but you know, he was basically saying that it was a practical necessity that uh, you can't have uh, a pacifist nation because then the domineering one will just wipe it out. Um, and uh, so that's not what uh, turning the other cheek means in that kind of situation. You shouldn't just stand aside and let a homicidal maniac get their way. Um, another way of looking at that problem might be to consider the Good Samaritan. And we probably wouldn't consider that Good Samaritan very good if he happened happened upon the person being um, robbed and did nothing to stop the robbery and assault, mm-hmm. um, we'd probably think, "Well, that's why didn't you do anything to help him then?" Um, so I, I can't judge someone else's motivations why they would want to serve or protect or mm-hmm. those kind of things might be in the DNA of who God has made as a person. No one, no one person is the same as the other. Right. My strengths are very different than my wife's strengths. And I'm so glad that we're together because uh, I have a lot of weaknesses that she covers over. (laughs) Uh, And I depend on her in ways um, 
and and vice versa. And I think that uh, everyone can kind of serve some help. So I, in a society, I don't, you know, it, it might look different mm-hmm. for, and, and I wouldn't want to say just because you're serving in the government, you can't be a Christian too, right. you know? And I, I also think one, one more thing that I'll say is there is, there is for me a very real nuance here. So there are, because of, um, people become Christians in the stage that they're in. So if someone converts and becomes a Christian and they're already a police officer mm-hmm. or a, a soldier, um, that's a, that's a slight, there's a slightly different nuance to that than somebody who is already a Christian who is considering becoming a police officer or a soldier. If I were advising those two people, I, and they were both in the eggs in the in the exact same scenario. What should I do? I might advise the person who's not. Well, maybe you shouldn't be. Maybe you shouldn't join the police force. Maybe you shouldn't join the military, and because maybe it's going to spare you a decision that somebody, a Christian who is already in that situation, might have to make. That when when the allegiances are challenged, yeah. Both of them are going to have to choose God. But if you're not there, if you're not in a compromising situation, it might be wiser not to put yourself in that compromising situation because of who your primary allegiance is to. Yeah. And I think um, I, I, there's, there's so much here, and I think we'll, we'll wind down this, this particular uh, topic um, because we won't be able to unpack everything. But I, what I am grateful for is that, you know, we're wrestling with this concept of authority and we're wrestling with, okay, we all know that Jesus is our ultimate authority in my life as a Christian. You know, how does that bear on these decisions about, um, in this case, you know, what profession I might be in or the way I might exercise my authority in that profession? Um, And, I think I'm with you, Matt. Like, I'm not in a place right now where I'm going to, I would make a categorical statement about someone being involved in, like, any sort of military or government service. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very confident uh, that I would advise no one to be in the military. <laughs> and um, that's the conviction that I live by. Um but what I what I am like rock solid on for myself is that there's go- if I if someone does go into those situations, there are going to be times when that other authority in their life is going to demand something that they cannot give as a Christian. And there's going to need to be a stand mm-hmm. that they're going to have to make. Mm-hmm. And um, can be a great opportunity to share your faith. And it could be a great opportunity to share your faith. Um, so, so I think with that, um, I wanted to end this, uh, many episode series on retaliation (laughs) and enemy love with a, a quote that I find very helpful. Um, mother Teresa said once that if you spend one hour a day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything that you know is wrong, you'll be fine. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I can sometimes get so wrapped up in disagreement or about the edge cases where I'm not sure of things that I forget that the 
God's word is extraordinarily clear the vast majority (laughs) of the time in my life. And if I just walked in what I knew to be true, then, you know, probably going to be fine, you know? And that's, and I think that's where really God uh, does call us the, the most is, you know, walk with me, be faithful to me. And how can we be faithful? Um, unless we do those things that we know are con- mm. are confident in, in what we know is right or wrong. So um, with that in mind, I guess just a, let's keep it short for right now. But, you know, what have, what, what have felt like some rock solid truths for you guys that have come out from these conversations, specifically about retaliation and enemy love um, that you just would like to to make sure our voice here before we close? I think, for me, um, what this causes me to see is, well, the, this is really hard and that I need Jesus. I really, really need Jesus. He's the one um, that I need uh, because all of this retaliation, self-preservation, whatever you want to, looking out for number one or whatever you want to call it, getting even, it feels so baked into my DNA, mm-hmm. like in my sinful nature, it just wages war against, um, against me for my soul. And, um, I think that looking to Jesus and his suffering for, for me, a complete sinner is, is, um, the first thing. And the second thing, um, I guess is related to the first is that, uh, we humans want to get even and take matters into our own hands and, and put ourselves in a place of judge. Um, and we see later in chapter seven, how messed up that is. That's not what we should be doing and that we should be instead entrusting ourselves again to him who judges justly. Mm-hmm. And the question isn't who is my neighbor? The question is how am I treating my neighbor? Yeah. Everyone's my neighbor. I should love everyone. <laughs> so I think those are the, some of the, the things that I'm getting out of this. Yeah. I think is it is it Romans eight that says if God is for us who can be against us mm. and uh, you know I've looked at that passage and said well nobody nobody can oppose me and but I also think it probably means no one really does oppose me if God is with me and that a lot of the a lot of what we're dealing with here when we talk about enemy love is is um, anger. And retribution, and that there really is no place for that in in somebody who's going to be a Christian. There, there's no place for it, um, and that my relationship with God is based upon the state of my heart, and that like like this whole series of the antitheses has has shown us is that's what's most important is my heart. And that uh, as far as my heart goes, I'm to love my enemy. And the, the challenge of that statement is as large, looms as large for me now at the end of this conversation as it did at the beginning of the conversation. And just like when Jesus said, love your neighbor, and the person replied and said, well, who is my neighbor? Then love your enemy is well. Who is my enemy? <laughs> and so I, I need to love that person, and uh, that that's where it all it all lands for me, and that's where um, that's where it evens out for my soul. 
I pre- I really appreciate what he said with that Mother Teresa quote too, yeah. is because we can't we we should not we should not major in minors, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know we should major in the majors, love God, and love people. Yeah, yeah, I love that, and I think for me. I- you talked about anger and how that's not supposed to rule our hearts. And the other primal emotion that can so often rule my heart is fear mm-hmm. and uh, fear of, you know, that, that I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think what came out so clearly in these episodes for me is that Jesus promises me that he's going to take care of me mm. and that I don't need to be afraid in mm-hmm. all of the situations where it'd be very natural for me to be afraid if I'm considering only this life. You know, I have a home in heaven. I have a hope of the resurrection. I have a leader who did it all here and is showing me the way there. And so I don't need to be controlled by fear. Or like it says in Hebrews, like, you know, Jesus released those who all their lives have been held in slavery by the fear of death. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what's come out for me. Um, I've really appreciated uh, these talks and felt like... Me too. This has been been some of the. Um, just even for us as a group has been some of the most uh, life-giving conversations that we've had to be able to lean into what we've been talking about, about wrestling in the word uh, in community uh, together. So thanks, guys. Absolutely. Uh, We'll catch you next time. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.